Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hello and welcome back to the BFI podcast. I'm Henry. I'm Anna. Quick question, Anna. If you were to walk the streets of London with a boombox playing one song over and over again, what song would that be? Right now, as of today, that would probably be Ha Ha Armageddon. Ha Ha Armageddon. Can you sing yeah. a little bit for us? No. Okay. Mine would be <laughs> <laughs> The Emotions no. Best of Your Love, which is Best of My Love, which is my favourite song. Your favourite song ever? Yeah. Do you want me to sing it to you? No. Oh. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm only asking. <laughs> Damn. Because we're going to be talking about Spike Lee this week, and obviously Radio Rahim in Do the Right Thing plays Public Enemies, Fight the Power over and over again in that film. The film that we're going to be talking about, though, later, this episode is Black Klansman. So what kind of stuff you guys do? Cross burdens, marches. This is fixing to be a big year for us. You ask too many questions. You undercover or something? We must unite and organize to fight racism. Are you down for the liberation of black people? Black Klansman to come, but first, what have you discovered since we last spoke, Anna? Well, this is not exactly a discovery for me. I've been interested in this sort of type of filmmaking for some years now. It's desktop documentaries or desktop-based films. That means the sort of films that are made entirely and seen entirely kind of through the desktop prism. So exactly what you see on your laptop or on your computer, that's exactly what the film is. Part of the reason why it's kind of resurfaced is there was a really great article written by Charlie Phillips that appeared in The Guardian a couple of weeks ago. He's really digging into kind of what that means for um, non-fiction storytelling, what that means for truth in documentary and non-fiction. There's a really interesting example that he puts that's actually available online called A Self-Induced Hallucination, which is effectively a found footage documentary about the phenomenon of Slenderman, which is one of the very first internet-bred, internet-born creepypasta slash boogeymen. Man. He's called the 
Slender Man, but did that haunting character inspire a couple of 12-year-olds to commit a horrific crime? They are accused of stabbing their friend 19 times and leaving her critically injured, but at least alive. Les Trent with the details. I find it really interesting about how you can rearrange or repurpose footage and um, people that upload their footage online for no very specific purpose outside from maybe expressing themselves or commenting on something that they're interested in and commenting on a particular phenomenon and how filmmakers or artists can take that footage and reassemble it to make something entirely different. The accounts of a certain particular entity are some of the most disturbing reports one could ever examine. The encounters with this entity have dated back centuries and have been permanently penned into various historical documents. Each culture or area that encountered this being had its own name for it. The Operator, the Tall Man, even Master. Today, it is most commonly known as Slender Man. You showed me some of these yesterday and I had a quite a strong reaction against particularly the Slender Man mm-hmm. one in that I felt like it was essentially just lumping together any old YouTube clip and watching someone browse the internet, which is my old man reaction to it. I since watched the other one you recommended, which was Transformers for the pre-make, I think it's yes. called. And I kind of found that amazing. I was sat there and it took me a good 10 minutes to get absorbed in it. But it, it, essentially what that filmmaker does is takes all the footage that people have shot of Transformers 4 being filmed in their hometown and crammed it all together into essentially a production diary, but also this weird mood piece about how these giant films take over cities and take mm-hmm. over people's lives to the mass incomprehension and fear and excitement of the audience that are there watching this thing being filmed. And it just felt, particularly with a film like that, Behemoth, that you're never going to stop, that the film itself and the way that he'd made the documentary about the film and the collection of YouTube clips he'd gathered were all of of a piece. And it felt terrifying to me in a sense. I've spent a lot of time on on the internet in fear and this kind of really captured that feeling, I think. That's really interesting because that um, Transformers the Premake is the 2014 documentary by Kevin Billy. Aside from what you just mentioned, one of the most interesting things for me about that film is that it kind of comments on, again, internet culture mm. and particularly um, movie fandom on internet culture and this obsession that we have, especially with big tentpole movies. I'm not even going to go into whether they're bad or good. That's not the point. The but point they are, is, right? They're just here. They're yeah. here. I mean, you can't deny that. And there is a huge amount of people, millions of people who are clicking and looking to find out everything before the film actually exists. Some video of all the... Uh propaganda that the Autobots are driving down by. Remember Chicago. He's watching you. It's watching you. Poor alien activity. So in a way, this film was created before the film that it was talking about was even in existence, which becomes this whole meta-commentary and criticism and film culture, which is a completely different approach that you can take for it. And that's also one of the reasons why I really love the Slenderman found footage doc. I think it also comments on internet culture by taking elements from it and repurposing it, as opposed to just, like you say, lumping bits and pieces of YouTube footage together into something else. But when we were talking about it before, you mentioned that this is this a gimmick? 
Yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit like a gimmick on first watch. But then I was thinking, why does that make it a gimmick rather than something like Adam Curtis films being a gimmick? They're exactly. a similar vibe, they're a similar, similar aesthetic. And when it comes to Transformers film, at least, it's probably going to be a better film than the actual Transformers film itself. So there we go. We will put the article that we mentioned by Charlie Phillips in the show notes. And I would definitely encourage you to check out A Self-Induced Hallucination, which is available to watch for free on YouTube right now. I'm going to talk a little bit about something that I've discovered or rediscovered, which is another documentary. It's much more conventional. And this is Last Chance You on Netflix. What is that? I haven't seen that. I cannot believe you haven't seen Last Chance You, Anna. Uh, have you seen Friday Night Lights? I'm ashamed to say no. Uh, so Friday Night Lights is made by Peter Berg. It is the American football drama which played about 10 years ago, I think, on US TV. But it was incredible because it was really rich interesting story about American football and the characters associated with it. Also the kind of starting point for the loads of actors that we see in the films today. I'm going to promptly forget all of their names. The guy who looks like Matt Damon. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Also Taylor Kidd. Also Carl Chandler. So the success of that show acts as a kind of springboard for Last Chance You, which is a documentary series about high school football teams that are playing and working in towns which are incredibly deprived in middle America. So the first two seasons are set in Scuba, Mississippi. The third one is set in a place called Independence in Kansas. And it's incredible how these towns, everything has been stripped from them. So manufacturing is dead, the economy's on its ass. There's nothing there to give them any hope other than these incredibly well-funded football teams and football programs, which have come about because they've managed to scoop up any of the players that had drug problems or violent uh, issues with aggression or spousal abuse and have been knocked down from the higher leagues and have a, essentially a last chance at these lower league teams. So you get these incredibly rich stories of people, individuals who are coming here for the literally the last shot at success or redemption. And then that's combined with this town that's looking for a last shot of redemption as well by plowing all its money into these football programs. I'm skeptical. They have had 20 years of losing seasons. 56 to nothing, 63 to nothing. It's hard to get yourself to go and watch. The truth is, it all comes down to the coach. We knew we had to find somebody really good. Hey, when it gets cold like that, so you know, probably a tornado. But I'm not taking these dudes out the field. Coach Brown is from California. That boy is straight out of Compton. He played for me in the hood. He knows how to talk in the language that those youngsters understand. I'm a cold hustler. I don't care if you hate me now. Love me at the end when you get a scholarship. I got to give these guys a love the classroom and love being a good person. <laughs> It's effectively like a documentary program about community college for football. It's kind of about community college football, but it's about America and it's <laughs> about the economy. It's a little bit about Trump, considering the, the fact that so many of the people that you see on the fringes of these football teams, I would imagine would be Trump voters. I'm broadly generalizing about mm -hmm. a lot of people there. But it definitely plays into that idea that everybody needs something to hope for. And mm -hmm. that can be quite corny when shown in a documentary, but given the structure of American football across a season, it gives it a real kind of oomph and a feeling that you're watching something in progress. You'll get one chance at what we're trying to do. You got me? Life ain't fair. Football ain't fair. Don't worry about what happens, just stay focused. And the other thing about it is that it's incredible is that the success of the first season was so much that the coach, Buddy Stevens, in the first and second season, is hyper aware that the cameras are back for the second season, that his anger issues in particular are having to play 
out on the field and he's trying to restrain himself, but he just can't. Even in front of the cameras, he can only be who he's absolutely going to be, which is the essence of great documentary filmmaking, right? I mean, that's definitely one of the constant questions that you grapple with whenever watching any piece of nonfiction, right? Is that how a camera in a room that's filming you is necessarily going to change how you behave and that kind of awareness of it and was it really successful after the first season yeah it did really well after the first season so kind of that awareness of the success also completely changes your perception of what that footage what the documentary is going to end up being and how people are going to be reacting to it and the whole machinery that comes with being on a huge successful netflix show as well and then in the first season there's a coach called jason brown and he's this guy from compton who's who's grown up and then moved on to become a kind of a savior of all these struggling teams but he's so aware of the legacy of Buddy Stevens mm-hmm. from the last seasons. He's also aware of this woman called Brittany Wagner, who was the essentially the welfare coach for the team and looked after their education. So he's constantly trying to play two roles that have been set up for him by the TV show that he's on. So it's this weird reality TV mix as well that comes into it, and that becomes part of the art and becomes part of the story and the artifice of it. Sports has consumed their lives in education on the background. She cares for you as a person. I see the train wreck coming, and I am the train, so... Move. As soon as I sent my film coach calls me up and he's like, here's a scholarship. My dad just got locked up. My stepmom crazy. And so I was like, you don't even got to tell me anything about this place. Nothing. I'm on my way. I just love it. I think you'd really like it too. And you must watch Friday Night Lights. I mean, I will watch Friday Night Lights after I'm done watching every other TV show <laughs> that's airing right it's now. It's never ending. <laughs> And Last Chance You, seasons one and two, which are great, and season three, which is all right, uh, is all available on Netflix now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right then, time to tackle Black Klansman. Spike Lee's latest film is a biopic of Ron Stallworth, played by John David Washington, son of Denzel. Stallworth was a black detective in 1960s Colorado who, along with his white Jewish colleague Flip Zimmerman, infiltrated the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Ron contacted the Klan on the phone. Zimmerman, played in the film by Adam Driver, handled the face-to-face. 
There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron, Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. When's the last time they let a rookie lead an investigation? Oh, that's right. Never. <laughs> okay. Joining me and Anna to talk about the film are Kelly Weston and Kambole Campbell. Kelly is a regular contributor to Sight and Sound magazine and The Skinny, and Cam is a freelance film critic for Little White Lies and Birth Movies Deaf. Hi, guys. Can you tell me first what your first Spike Lee experience was and what you remember about it? My first conscious experience of Spike Lee was probably Crooklyn, um, which I sort of like went out searching for because everybody's like, you have to watch Crooklyn. It's one of his most perfect films. And I agree with this. But I think probably when I was about eight or nine, uh, so in grade school, we had to watch the documentary for little girls. Instantly, I think that Spike Lee is a really unsung <laughs> documentarian. Yeah. He's an excellent documentary filmmaker. It's just a shame that his documentaries don't get seen. Cam, when did you first like Spike? I've had this really strange thing where I'd kind of been fooled by white teenagers on the internet that Spike Lee was terrible because he said some bad things mm. about Tarantino so there was just like the only thing I really knew the only thing I knew about him was this like this all of like the kind of collected bad things that he might have said when um it's really he's <laughs> probably yeah. a much more upstanding dude at the point where I watched do the right thing um it kind of just kind of blew my perspective I've been listening and reading you've been reading now I read I've been reading about your leaders, Reverend Al, Mr. Do, Sharp Tone, Jesse. Keep hope alive. That's fucked up. Keep hope alive. Hey, that's fucked. Don't talk about Jesse. And uh, even uh, the other guy, what's his name? Uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Uh, Minister Farrakhan. All right, sorry. Minister Farrakhan. Anyway, Minister Farrakhan always talks about the so-called day when the black man will rise, we will one day, what does he say, we will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past? Yeah, that's right. What past are you talking about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Man, keep dreaming, man. Then you woke up. Pino, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra. Yeah? Well, fuck you too, and fuck Michael Jackson. How much do you think that this um, kind of perspective or accumulated perspective of who Spike is as a public figure actually impacts people's appreciation of his work and almost in a way ignoring some of his other work, like his documentary mm -hmm. work, which is astounding? I'll yeah. completely agree with you. I would say you could definitely do a whole podcast about Spike <laughs> yeah. Lee's image because when he first came on the scene, basically in the 1980s, he rather quickly sort of gained this reputation as this angry, I'm saying this in air quotes, angry black man. Mm. Um, but anger is not a bad emotion inherently. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he had a right to be angry. <laughs> a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of his best films like Levy's and Do the Right Thing were fueled by rage, as I think Black Klansman is as well. I can kind of feel his skill as a documentarian in a lot of his films because he's a really great I think he's a really great documentarian of black emotions mm. one of those being anger so like in a lot of his films he will use kind of archive clips and culture as context to a lot of emotion in his movies Spike Lee is just sort of 
explicit and blatant in his anger. And I think that can make him a really good filmmaker. But I also think in the case of Black Klansman, it just doesn't go. It doesn't. It's not as productive as I would personally like it to be. So the film premiered at this year's Cannes Film Festival, where it was kind of met with rapturous almost Mm. acclaim. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans and Irish, Italians and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. This is one of those films where people's mileage is definitely going to vary because it costs a really broad net. Um, in comparison to a lot of his films. I think with me, I really enjoyed Black Klansman despite that because I don't think that this broadness is a problem or a detriment because it feels like it's aimed squarely at kind of white centrists who are kind of hesitant to... um, The kind of people who are kind of still straddling the uh, both sides Mm. kind of point of view. And this film very much hammers the point that's not an option. A lot of what I liked about it, though, also came from things specific to black people. Like you mentioned uh, to me, the double consciousness text. Yeah. Um, this and one of his past films, Bamboozled, kind of appear as a kind of literalization of that idea and one by Franz Fanon. So uh, essentially, it's that uh, the concept by DuBose. Uh, he, he published it. First in 1897, but then again in 1903 in The Souls of Black Folk, which is how people mostly remember that text. And it's essentially the idea that Black people have a particular kind of psychic struggle reconciling their Blackness and their American identity. You have Kwame Torre and... You know, slight spoiler alert, Harry Belafonte also appears as a kind of speaker who's like speaking to black people. And then that's also kind of juxtaposed with David Duke speaking. Mm-hmm. Because it's interesting you say that this is sort of aimed at white centrists, because I do think it makes it reasonable to me that this is sort of not as radical as I kind of wanted it yeah. to be, um, because it just falls into a lot of conventional traps. So it, it sets up these really interesting ideas, as you say, about like double consciousness. Um, but I don't think it goes deep enough. <laughs> There's so many shortcomings as well. You you have a film about, you know, systemic racism and law enforcement gets off almost entirely scot-free. Yeah. So all of the villainy and evil of law enforcement is embodied in this one cartoonishly, you know, white cop who <laughs> is like, you know, it's just the embodiment of what bad you egg. would think. Yeah, of the yeah. bad egg. It's literally <laughs> the expression of the bad egg yeah. argument because all of the other cops... Um, you know, just sort of accept Ron Stallworth, the black Ron Stallworth, mm-hmm. I guess we should, we should <laughs> clarify. Um, and, you know, he rises through the ranks quite easily for this to be 1979 and for mm-hmm. him to be the first black cop on the force. It's just this one white cop who doesn't like him and who, you know, has killed someone and who's committed police brutality and, and who molests uh, Patrice, who is the love interest in this film. I think it should be a film that interrogates whiteness, how race persons, it it does get really complicated when you're talking about Jewish identity, but that Mm -hmm. identity is frequently racialized, and how race people navigate predominantly white spaces and what makes whiteness as a concept so dangerous to hang on to because people have killed for it. He makes that point at the end, but he doesn't get underneath it at all. You probably shouldn't go to that meeting. 
How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. So I think that there's definitely an insidious element to the police that is explored, mm. but then it kind of falls off in favor to become this kind of rallying call. To me, it was not entirely convincing that the police force just sort of goes along with his distraction. Like, because what he's doing is sort of like taking them away from the Black Panther Party. Um, he just calls up the KKK randomly. Yeah, he's I, not kind of encouraged to do so. And in fact, he yeah. has to convince his, you his, know, his superiors, superiors that yeah. this, they are, the KKK are actually right. the, a threat to everyone. And but they, they go be along with it for they such do. a long time before, you know, there is a, a threat, a viable threat. This is one of the other <laughs> things I think structurally that was a problem for me with the film is that in reality, and I don't think this film is in and of itself quite satirical in a lot of ways and exaggerated, um, but it still doesn't really make sense that this all-white police force would be willing to take their eyes off the Black Panther Party um, and focus on the KKK, which was not not seen as a huge threat, especially in Colorado. I didn't want to say we're trapped, but that pecker would have had a gun in my face. And he was an ass hair away from pulling the trigger. And he didn't. But he could have. And then I would have been dead. For what? Stopping some jerk-offs from playing dress-up? Flip, it's intel. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie hot dog white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my fucking business. It's our business. I'm going to get you your membership card so you can go to the cross burning and get in deeper with these guys. Right, partner? I think the film makes a really good point that it's a religion that's been really heavily racialized. Mm. And then it's something that he hadn't considered until he has to um, actively like deny it when yeah. he's undercover. And I thought that was really fascinating in how um, it covers how people are programmed to aspire to whiteness mm. yeah. and until uh, they realize it, this kind of hits a wall. But um, even that, was... that is sort of uneven because we don't know enough about Flip. <laughs> we get this one little peek into Flip's life uh, and his background. But, you know, he does wear the Star of David. That scene, just to come back to what Cam was saying, that mm. scene between Ron and Flip talking about this was one of the most interesting but also disappointing yeah. moments yeah because with the cusp it was at the cusp for me of going deep into the central theme of of the of the film but didn't quite get there particularly because flip and i remember he says i've didn't grow up jewish yeah. i didn't think of myself in jewish and now i think about it every day because i have to deny it every mm. day and i think ron just nods yeah and then the scene ends <laughs> i think it's interesting as well that the film itself is is passing like Cam started by saying it's a film sent, uh, focused at the white center mm. in many senses, and it is, but it's flawed in that in from the title down, right? Yeah. Like if you're a 
Obama Trump voter, you're not going to go and see a film called Black KKK yeah. Lands. <laughs> you are just not going to see it. But Spike seems to be aiming it to that audience, which is it's it's an mm. honourable thing to do. It's, it feels like he's trying to coax some of those people further towards the left, to me. But mm. there's definitely an element of if you're already in that position and you can see what's happening in the world today, there is nowhere near enough here to get you fired up yeah. or to make you feel vindicated. I agree. Um, I don't know. I think like with its being aimed at that audience, it kind of, it makes a lot of sense to me because it's an audience that really kind of hesitant to uh, label a lot of like, I mean, the reason mm-hmm. the term alt-right exists mm-hmm. is because people have been hesitant to just refer to them as neo-Nazis. So I think that it's actually kind of important that it's aimed a bit more broadly than just to the left. I, I want Spike to off. be the yeah. angry man <laughs> who goes off and says, this is bullshit and we need to call it. And I, this film does that and doesn't and that's why it irritated me i think it does that to quite an extreme length considering that um, <laughs> its overall thesis about uh, i guess by about the clan and by extension the current presidency that the only thing keeping their insidious racism at, but almost near borderline genocidal racism at bay is their stupidity yeah they yeah. even make fun of david duke who they he's presented as a threat in mm-hmm. the film for mm-hmm. the first half and then with that last scene where they he's all right. yeah he's made out to be a silly this yeah. figure of fun exactly today we are privileged to be among white men and white women <laughs> such as yourselves real warriors for the real america the america that our ancestors fought and died for the true white american race the backbone from whence came our great southern heritage and I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for never putting your country second. America first. America first. America first. Even when Adam Driver is sort of like, you know, the the, the highest points of, of tension are where, you know, you feel that Adam Driver might be found out. The whole time, you know, even even in those like really tense moments where um, they have guns, they have weapons. There's like you need to take this lie to tell, or he calls it, you know, quite um, grossly. And I'm saying in air quotes, like a Jew detector yeah, test. Something it's like that. so gross. But you know, I didn't feel fear because I'm not threatened by these people. And I think so much of this would have been easily solved to me if it was just thinking just a little bit more about why black people have to pass or why race persons have to think about passing. And I don't think the film just isn't interested in that dynamic between Adam Driver Mm. and um, John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son, uh, because also, you know, undermines their chemistry because they're actually great to watch on screen. I would have loved so much more of them together in the film. And you just don't get that. Um, thank you so much, Kamala and Kelly, for joining us to not rip apart, discuss Black Clansman. <laughs> um, we'll be joined by Spike Lee himself to talk about the film at a special screening that we're going to be hosting at the BFI South Bank on the 20th of August. Now, unfortunately, that's all sold out now, but it will be beamed into cinemas nationwide. You can still join the conversation about Black Clansman online and buy tickets for any of the nation screenings of the Q&A.
That's it for this episode. If you're in the vicinity of Apple Podcasts and fancy rating, reviewing and subscribing to the podcast, that would be lovely. You can also let us know what you think of the show directly by contacting me on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna on... Anna B. Demented. We're hosted by Acast and the mighty Pete Sale is our producer. More of his work at petersale.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Your last line this episode comes from Friday Night Lights. Clear eyes, full hearts. Anna? I don't know what that means. Oh my God, can't lose. (laughs) Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.